When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Well, it's the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles and Greg. We have a lot to get to. First, let me tell everybody that we are brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports events and sports. As I said, Greg, we've got a ton. We've got the retirement of Brady, we've got McDaniels and Ziegler going to the Raiders, but we have to start with the biggest NFL story that uh, broke yesterday. Brian Flores, he is actually filing a lawsuit against the NFL. Uh, you look at this lawsuit that he's filing, it's a class action lawsuit, which means you can bring other people in. It is against the uh, Broncos, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the NFL for racist hiring practices. First, Greg, your initial reaction when you saw this news come across yesterday? Yeah, it was um, it was so stunning that like, so what happened was, I was on Felger Maz at the time when I'm looking at my Twitter account and I saw Jim Murray retweeted some reporter, and it was the first instance that I heard about it, and I was like, and I and I took a look at it real quick. Again, we were live on air at the time, and I'm skimming through it, and look, it's Twitter. I don't know. Um, I, I've made mistakes before where I've retweeted things and, and, uh, being mistaken. And, you know, this was kind of a big deal. So I like asked the guy, I was like, is this real? Like, you know, and then quickly it became clear and confirmed that it was indeed, indeed real. And, um, a couple of things, Nick, that, that sort of stand out, um, about this to me. Um, number one, it, you know, it, it's a historic sort of lawsuit for an active coach in the national football league to bring something like this forward. Um, especially a young, talented black head coach like Brian Flores. Um, so the guts that it takes to do something like this are just, I mean, they're huge and it doesn't surprise me, um, that it's Brian Flores who would do something like this. It would, you know, he's a guy I covered with the Patriots, a uh, guy I've kept in touch with. I have a, an immense respect for Brian Flores in terms of uh, the type of coach that he has, type of person that he is, more importantly. Um, you know, that being said, uh, I, I, I question the timing on this a lot, Nick. Um, look, there are still five more openings in this league. That he, right. he, He's already interviewed twice with the Houston Texans. He was set to interview with the New Orleans Saints like today and for him to all of a sudden come forth with a lawsuit like this, I, I don't understand it. He could have gotten a job. Um, I don't know what, I don't know why it would have made a difference if he waited two weeks or a month to file this suit, if he didn't get a head coaching job and he felt like he was indeed wronged. I, I, I don't understand that part of it. And, and look, he knows the risks that come with doing this. He's, he's talked about it. I just watched the, interview that he gave on CBS this morning. 
um, which I thought was a little curious. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the lawyers involved in this and their angle in all this. Uh, mm. But, you know, I, Colin Kaepernick comes to mind. He's a guy who spoke out against uh, systemic racism in this country, uh, you know, police brutality, never played again in the league. Uh, Brian Flores bringing this forth against um, the entire National Football League and also all of its teams, uh, certainly risk being employed by the NFL again. He, and he understands that. Um, this is a class action lawsuit, so obviously there is some belief on Flores' part or on his attorney's part that he will be joined at some point by other uh, people in the class, other minority coaches who think they have been wronged and may or may not have receipts uh, or proof. I think that, and we can go in a bunch of different directions. I think that the, I think that the Bill Belichick text messages that he used is sort of the smoking gun. I don't know, kind of flimsy to me. I mean, I understand what is being said there that the allegation is Bill Belichick got Brian Dayball and Brian Flores mixed up and basically was saying, well, I've heard from the Bills and the, the, the Giants that it's a done deal that Brian Dayball is getting the job even before Flores interviews. But Belichick could also explain that away. He could say, look, I'm 70 years old. Sometimes I get things mixed up. And also, I didn't really hear from those teams. I was going off of media reports and the fact that the Giants had hired a Bills GM. I was just connecting dots. I didn't really know what was going on uh, at the time. So um, so those are some of my, you know, lead off thoughts on this. But, right. you know, I, I think the, the big thing for me is Brian, like I said, I have a ton of respect for Brian. Um, part of his weaknesses to me is, first of all, he didn't lose his job in Miami because he was a, a black head coach or he, or he defied what Steven Ross wanted as far as throwing games and things like that, even though that might have factored into it. He lost his job because he, he decided to work for a crappy owner, for a crappy organization. I At the time, I said he should not take that job. He had only been defensive coordinator of the Patriots for one year. Better jobs with better organizations, with better owners, with a better track record would have come calling for Brian Flores. And he put himself in that position to do well and to still get fired. We all knew that was a possibility went down there. He knew that was a possibility. But the biggest thing is when you when you launch something like this, you have to have an end game in mind. I don't I don't know what the end game is, um, Nick. And listening to that interview today on CBS this morning. I don't think they know what the end game is, which which makes me nervous for Brian. Like you're either doing it, you're basically doing it because the NFL is not going to want to get to discovery. They're not going to want, Bill Belichick's not going to have to hand over his phone and emails and a bunch of other executives in this league. This is why Colin Kaepernick, the league settled with Colin Kaepernick before they got to discovery. The NFL is not going to do that. They're not going to turn over all these emails and cell phones. So it's either a monetary settlement or you dictate the terms of the settlement in terms of helping minority coaches in the future. But, and this is the big thing. I don't understand what they want. What exactly is the NFL going to be able to do to help minority hiring? That's going to satisfy Flores and the quote unquote class in this. I don't understand the end game. I don't see a clear end game. Brian Flores better have a clear end game in mind or else this is a fruitless lawsuit in my mind. 
All right, there's a lot to unpack. You just gave me about six minutes of a lot yeah. of info. The first thing I will say is why now when you still had maybe four or five weeks, you could have had one of these five remaining jobs. I would just say my guess is guilt on Flores' part. And what I mean by that is this was something where he thought that he couldn't live with any longer. Like he needed to bring this up as he has said in his statement and and he has said in a bunch of interviews, I mean, he was on CBS, he was on get up this morning on ESPN. He was on CNN. They are absolutely pushing the PR on this, which they should because they know how much of a powerful entity the NFL is. You've got to get your side of the story out and your message out before they start sending their message out, which we know will come. And and when it does get here, I think it's going to be ferocious uh, if history is any indication. So I would say it's probably just guilt. Even if even if Flores got a job, he's probably looking back at this and said, man, you know, I should have said something. I, I knew something was up. I went through things. I needed to have my voice heard. And instead, I tucked my tail between my legs and I went back to the NFL when I knew a lot of this stuff was going on. And, and I don't know if he would be comfortable living with that. That's my that's really the only thing that would make some reasonable sense to me uh, as far as others jumping in. I find it interesting, Greg, that already, you know, Tony Dungy uh, had that open letter to the NFL from last year. He kind of reposted it on Twitter and said that, you know, other people have to get involved. We saw Hugh Jackson this morning say that when he was coaching the Browns, the Browns gave him a little bit of extra scuttle to lose games. And, and that he thought, you know, it, it was it was very similar to what Ross was doing with Flores down in Miami. So maybe Hugh Another Jackson. Yeah, and maybe Hugh Jackson jumps in on this. Uh, Jim Caldwell, as we know, people have questioned why he was let go by the Lions after a winning record, no matter how you feel about him as a head coach. I mean, he is he's the winningest head coach the Lions have had in a long time. Maybe he gets involved. So I, I do think there are going to be other people involved in this. Charles Robinson from Yahoo yesterday said that uh, he already knew of two or three coaches that thought they had receipts that were similar to what Flores shared. So I do think others will get involved, which could make this even more messier. Nick, let me say one thing on this. And and Charles is an excellent reporter, and I'm sure we absolutely talked to guys who said this. But uh, there there's a big difference between uh, talking anonymously to a reporter and saying like, "Oh, I you know I see what's going on here. I also have receipts," and actually joining the class. Right. And, I agree. You know, they, it, it, people can talk a big game, but when it comes out to actually doing this. Um, it's, it's quite another thing. So yes, is the potential there for 40, 50 minority coaching candidates in this league, former coaches, current assistant coach coming out. And some of them have text messages and other things and other evidence. And yes, that, that is possible. It's also possible. It's just Brian Flores at the end of the day. And again, I keep going back to when you file something like this, you better have the terms of settlement in your mind ready right then. What right. is going to satisfy you? What right. is the change? I, I Obviously, the NFL system is broken and in terms of how they're doing things. I do think the NFL has tried things. They expanded the Rooney rule. They have uh, incentivized teams developing uh, minority coaches, assistant coaches, so that if if they rise through the ranks to coordinator, you know, general manager, what assistant general manager, and they get hired by another team, you pick up draft picks. Right. Let me jump in. There's, there's one thing yeah. about the NFL. Cause I, I agree with you as far as 
the Rooney rule in the NFL, we, we can look at this and we can say 70% of the league is black. Right now, as we speak, there's one black head coach in the league. That's ridiculous. It's inexcusable. And for people saying, oh, well, what's the percentage supposed to be? More than one black head coach. I mean, if 70% of the league is black, you would imagine that the players who played in the league know more about the game than anybody else, right? So why is there such a, a differing percentage there? And the numbers are so slanted. It's it's crazy. It's it's not like that in the NDA, not even close. So they obviously have a problem. But I agree with you, Greg. You know, I don't know what the NFL can do. Like tangibly, mm-hmm. what can the NFL do? They can't walk into facilities and put guns to the head of owners and say, right. make this higher. The mm-hmm. only thing, the only thing that I think the NFL can do and, and which would start to change some of these things. And, and look, it's theoretically because Shad Khan was hired, uh, brought right. in not hired, but brought in as an owner in Jacksonville. And everybody said, oh, well, there's a minority owner. And all Shad Khan has done is hire white head coaches, yep. including Urban Meyer the last time around. So mm-hmm. it's it's not going to be the end-all, be-all. But the one thing the NFL could do is moving forward, have, have a more concerted effort into bringing owners in from different backgrounds and Absolutely. minorities, black, mm-hmm. brown, et cetera. That's the role the NFL can play. As far as day-to-day inside a franchise and the minutia, you can't tell an owner how to operate his business. It's just not going to work. He's going to inevitably hire the guy he wants to hire. No matter what Roger Goodell says, we say it doesn't matter. So that's where it's going to start. It's going to start at the top, and it's going to start with some ownership changes. I, I completely agree, and and that's that's what I mean by like when you file a lawsuit like this, if you're Brian Flores, his attorneys – if they aren't just out for publicity, which you often get with these type of lawsuits, um, you know, they need to tell him, all right, fine, you're going to do this. What are the terms of settlement that you are going to be satisfied in? You tell us, because basically that's what the NFL is going to do at the end of the day. They're going to say, Brian, what is going to make you satisfied that we don't go to discovery on this? Because what's the point in, you know, possibly embarrassing a bunch of, people in in this league if we're not going to make real change with the nfl what are the terms well, how, how do you want to do it i mean i'm i know i'm certainly open to hearing ideas on how to do it i haven't heard any good ideas um but that's what you need to do if you're bringing a lawsuit like this you have to have the terms of settlement in mind that you're going to be satisfied with and say i affected change i changed the nfl for the better and professional sports for the better or else this is fruitless to me. And this is a gigantic adventure, you know, for for Flores and his legal team to, to get to what you're talking about, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. going to be an adventure to get to that final, this is how we feel and what we want done because, you know, we're going to jump to Brady in a minute. But, you know, when you look at this idea of what can we do to change things, we have to first realize that this is something that's been ingrained for decades, much like throughout the country, hundreds of years and, and, and things that happened hundreds of years ago, which just continue to affect, you know, current life. It, it's the same thing in the NFL. You know, you have generations of owners and their kids and then they take over. You got, you know, McNair mm-hmm. down in Houston who has no idea what the hell he's doing, but he gets the ownership because dad gave it to him. So you have the nepotism angle. Shad Khan, when he's gone, I'm sure it's going to go right to Tony Khan. He's going to own the Jags. Jerry Jones with Stephen Jones. So the problem is, how do you break that cycle? And when you have a situation like a Jerry Richardson in Carolina, you know, maybe you shouldn't jump so fast to David Tepper and look at some other people because those opportunities 
are few and far between in the NFL. And that also goes into coaching staffs. You know, I mean, you look at the coaching. Andy Reid had had his children on the staff. Belichick has his kids on the staff. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of just, you know, Kubiak and his children. It, it just kind of that's how the system has worked for decades. And it's going to be very difficult to parachute in and make any kind of gigantic landscape change in a matter of a year or two. And it also goes down to the level of college and high school. You know, college football doesn't have a ton of black head coaches. It, it, it all, you know, many of the hires that are made right now are offensive coordinator positions. Guys brought in or, you know, coordinators that are brought in to be the next head coaches. When you look at offensive coordinators, I think it was like four or five of the OCs this year were black. So if you're going from that pool, again, you're limiting the pool of black people that can rise up and be given the head coach slot. So it's a very layered, difficult, delicate thing. And I only hope that Flores and his representatives have an idea, like you said. The last thing I want to touch on with this is, is what you brought up with Belichick and how it's, how it's flimsy and how you think he can explain it away. Flores said that he has not spoken to Belichick since this came out, which is not surprising. It came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. What kind of position does this put Belichick in? Like, I know he can explain it away, but on the other hand, if he explains it away, that's not going to look good to black and brown coaches and people that he might be friends with. If he kind of poo-poos this thing and goes, ah, nothing to see there. He might put himself in a very difficult position with certain people in the league. How do you think he's going to be able to kind of walk through this thing? And, and what is your best guess as to how he might handle it? Well, I I don't know how much of a precarious position it puts him in. I mean, because, look, this is, you know, we're talking about text messages. We've all screwed up in terms of I got somebody mixed up. Nick, I probably sent you text messages that I'm, you know, meant for my <laughs> staffers at BSJ and other things. And, you know, hopefully I didn't say I love you and smooches like I got my <laughs> wife mixed up with you. But um, look, I, I, I don't think it puts in a precarious situation because it's not I, I, I don't think that is, is does Belichick have the smoking gun inside of his mind that, yes, he talked to like, you know, who would he probably talk? You know, he was probably talking to, you know, he said he talked to somebody from the Bills, according to his text message, probably somebody from the Bills, probably talked to Dayball. I don't think he really talks to anybody else on that staff. Maybe somebody in the front office like Brian Gain, who has some connections to the Patriots, uh, you know, sort of backdoor through the Giants. Um, you know, we talked to somebody from the Giants. Yeah, it could be the Maris, could be probably more likely Steve Tisch, who I think Belichick was a little bit closer with on the ownership side of the Giants. But, um, you know, just looking at Bill's track record, his track record is to when people think they have him in the crosshairs that they can <laughs> pin him down on something. He, he, he tip tiptoes through the raindrops. He yep. knows how to maneuver. And in terms of like, you know, I'm sure he would say, what I got somebody mixed up on the text messages. You know, I, I don't, you know, I don't even remember what I did last week, let alone two weeks ago with a text message. I, I was probably reacting off of, you know, media reports. And also the bills had hired or the giants had hired the Shane guy from the, the bills to be the GM. I was just connecting dots. I didn't really talk to anybody. I was talking out of my rear end. Like he can do that. And I don't think he offends anybody. I think, I think that's probably what's accurate. And, you know, Bill's gonna, 
he's not going to reveal like, oh, yeah, I know the inner workings. I have sources with the Bills and the Giants, and I know their inner workings. So I, I don't think it's a big deal. I just wonder, it's never good to, I mean, look, Brian Flores put Bill Belichick on blast. I mean, it was basically the first line in this lawsuit that he used his text messages, screenshotted them. Bill's not going to react well to that. I, right. I don't see him having much of a Brian having much of a future. I think there was a chance that he comes back as defensive coordinator or, or part of the staff if he didn't get a head coaching job. I think that's over now. Belichick might reach across the aisle and show he's the bigger person and, and hire him back because he is a good coach. And quite frankly, the defense has never played better in recent years than under Brian Flores. Um, but I, I don't think there's I don't worry about Bill Belichick. There's nobody's nobody's dodged more things in recent years than Bill Belichick without being tainted by them. All right. You talk about offending people. Tom Brady might have offended a lot of people uh, with his goodbye message yesterday when he officially retired. But before we get to that, Greg, tell the uh, fine people listening to this podcast and watching us about betonline.ag. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march into the playoffs and the big game and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all your best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign Ooh. up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50, CLNS50 to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, all the stuff that Nick watches and wastes his time on to your favorite Vegas casino oh, games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag. All right, Greg. Uh, Brady. Uh, officially retired yesterday, Adam Schefter, Jeff Darlington. They had it over the weekend. Uh, I thought all the stuff coming out from Tom Sr. and other people, look, it was rather obvious with the semantics they were playing that Brady was going to announce his retirement. They weren't pushing back that it was necessarily the wrong information. They just seemed like they were peeved that it did not happen on Brady's clock. Uh, but now we know he's done. He posted on social media yesterday. And the one thing that everybody is talking about is the fact that Brady did not bring up New England, the fans, the Patriots organization, Kraft, Belichick, as if they did not exist. Why? Uh, you know, great question, Nick. Um, look, do I think that, you know, Tom Brady left the Patriots two years ago. Um, you know, he said his... Uh, he said his things at the time they played the Patriots this year. He said plenty about the Patriots, about, you know, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and and his former teammates and coaches and all that stuff all during that time. You know, I understand all that. But, you know, Tom Brady was officially retiring from the National Football League. Uh, he at least owed the Patriots, the Patriots fans uh, ownership, Belichick, all these guys, at least a couple of lines in his retirement speech. I mean, considering he was gushing about, I mean, like Jason Light and Bruce Arians and, you know, all these guys who he's been with for two freaking years and won Super, one Super Bowl title. Um, uh, you know why? To me, it's it's clear evidence that 
Brady is still really upset about the way things ended here, that he thinks it's, it was at the end of the day, at the end of his career, you know, in this may or may not be the end of his career at the, at the end of the day, he did not get to finish his career on his terms where he wanted to uh, with the franchise that he basically put on his back and built uh, Patriot place, all that stuff. And I think he's, you know, going through this season, and I think t- down in Tampa was a little bit of a circus. I think he just looked at it and said, um, "He he's bitter looking back on it now. And I think that was clear with some of his dad's comments this year, um, you know, some of his own, um, you know, dealings and, and, and things like that. I think that Tom Brady is is very bitter about the way things ended, that he didn't get to end with the Patriots. And this is sort of his last ditch effort to sort of give them the the Heisman and share with everybody how disappointed he was that that did not happen. You know, it's just such a strange thing. The first thing I would say is, uh, you know, should have some, should something have been said in the, in the nine page post? Sure. No doubt about it. I, I mean, it would have made sense. It would have been probably the right thing to do. I will say though, if there's something bigger planned here down the road, then I kind of don't want to sit here and throw him under the bus just yet. Mm -hmm. Because if there is, again, you know, Brady has his own calculated way of handling things. And maybe this is a situation where he wanted to put the the bucks over because he's leaving them. He had a year left on his deal. He knows they're in a very, very tough spot. Uh, he won another Super Bowl with them and, and made another, you know, deeper run this year with them. And maybe this was just him throwing his bouquet of flowers to the Bucks. And a week or two from now, maybe something bigger will happen with the Patriots. Maybe, you know, I know people are saying there's no way he'll sign a one-day contract. Maybe that never happens. Maybe it eventually happens. Maybe he has a day. Maybe he has a I, I mean, I, I just think there is room. I mean, you don't have to do everything as soon as you retire. He, he could set aside a day, a week, a weekend, and do something regarding the Patriots, their fans, whatever. So I don't want to completely rule that out. But again, I do think putting something in this message towards the Patriots organization would have been the right thing to do. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Because in, in Brady's mind, I'm sure he thinks, I should have retired a Patriot. I should have been there my entire career. But would he want to? Like, in the, in the big picture from 30,000 feet, when you look at an entire career, I'm sure in his mind, it was the perfect storybook ending. He spent his entire career with one organization, with one head coach. And it was a nice, neatly folded, you know, goodbye story. But let's not forget how miserable he was the last year in New England. Like, let's not forget that this team was not nearly as talented as that Tampa team has been the last two years. So would Brady really want to leave with the, like, would he have really wanted to be a part of this team that did not have the weapons that he wanted, did not have all the pieces together that he would want together? I mean, I don't know. I think if Brady stayed in New England, he would have been miserable. So I don't well, know. Nick, on that, I, that's, that, that's a good point, but I will say, I think, I think, what you're talking about goes into how he's feeling now and how he's disappointed. And I think the Patriots have now, at least Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have now joined Lloyd Carr, the rest of the teams that passed on him in the 2000 draft, like all these, 
historic grudges. We all know that Brady's an all-time grudge holder and and has chips stacked on his shoulders. Um, and I think the Patriots have now joined that. I understand what you're saying, but I think now in hindsight, after what happened in Tampa, you know, he goes down there and they turn over a lot of things to him. The offense, right. some of the personnel. We've heard people mention, ah, he was the GM down there. He looks at it and says, look, they gave me more. I just wanted to be more of a partner. Like at the end of my career, and you get this from a lot of older quarterbacks in this league, they want it. Rogers right now. Favre was the same way. Marino. Yeah, but is that fair? They want to be involved. He wants it to be a partnership. He thinks that he was, he had earned being more of a partner with Bill Belichick and Belichick gave him the Heisman, wouldn't give him the, the, the contract. And so I think that goes into it that he wishes it wouldn't have ended that way. He wouldn't have been miserable if Bill brought him more into the fold to make it more of a partner. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that I think that's what he believes. I don't think it's a fair assessment. I think it's I think it's Brady living in his own vacuum in his own tunnel world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wasn't the Muhammad Sanu move made with Brady in mind? Well, I mean, I, I don't Allegedly. I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if Belichick makes that move if Brady's not pushing for it. How about Antonio Brown? How about the fact that Belichick went you know against some of the I think that there. was Bill. I think that was Bill. I think Bill ran to that. He knew how shitty they were at at, at wide receiver. He ran to it and didn't vet it. And I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, but Brown moves in with Brady and their BFFs. I mean, for me to believe that Brady had absolutely zero to do with that, I think he has something to do with that. They had the opportunity to trade Gronk um, before he started to you know really really slow down, and they decided to hold on to Gronk. I mean. Because of Brady. Exactly. So w- right. when you when you look at this, like uh, Brady acting like, oh, I, I never had say and I never had power. And that's not the case. This is not an Aaron Rodgers situation. You know, Green Bay would never spend money on free agents. They, they would never, you know, they had draft picks that they didn't spend on, on, on offensive talent for years. They didn't spend a first round pick on an offensive guy forever. Like, I think Rodgers had a much better beef than Brady did. Did Belichick, you know, bend over backwards to please Brady? Of course not. That's not the way he rolls. But for, you know, I I think it would be an unfair assessment for Brady to look back and go, oh, they never let me get involved. Like, I I just, I I think that's unrealistic. I think, especially towards the tail end, he had a good amount of, of say. And Belichick was absolutely, he mentioned it on Sirius a long time ago, over a year ago, saying, a lot of the decisions that they made across the football team, defensively and offensively, were in mind of going for it. If he doesn't have Brady as his quarterback, that's not his approach. He's not necessarily going all in. So I, I just I, I don't buy that from Brady. If that's part of his his thinking, I think it's Brady, you know, being unrealistic. I, I think he did have at least some say in what was happening. And he was absolutely a part of the reason why a lot of those moves were made that Belichick made. So, mm-hmm. you know, if that's what it is, it's unfortunate because, you know, maybe three, four years from now, Brady will look back. He'll be outside of it. He'll think differently. But as you said, Greg, he is also known as one of the best at, at keeping grudges. So yep. maybe it'll never happen. Uh, just one more question about Brady. Why do you think it happened now? And I know you said just a couple of minutes ago, you kind of left this open. Is it possible that he's not done? Could, could we see a little bit of uh, Brett Favre here from Brady? It, do you think this is truly it for him? Uh, I, I'm not ready to completely close the door, and even though I'm sure um, 
the Giselle situation is the key one here. And we don't know, uh, you know, what that situation is. But, um, you know, if he if Brady was unhappy, the way things ended in Tampa uh, didn't really see coming back there as an option. One of the one of the options for him is to uh, pull the, the the Favre sort of power play, which is what you do is you. You retire. Um, the team moves on, makes moves a quarterback, uses the salary cap. Basically, they have no salary cap room left. And then come July or August, if you don't want to go to the beginning of camp or what have you, at some point you say, I'm going to unretire. At that point, the team that holds his rights to Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if they haven't released them already, have about, you know, two to two days to a week to make the proper arrangements to fit him under the cap. Or they could trade him or release him outright. Um, so if Brady wants to say end his career where it started if he wants to go back to San Francisco play for the 49ers who probably only have Trey Lance and what have you whatever else uh, next year maybe they think Trey Lance needs another year and Brady sees that team as a Super Bowl contender just a quarterback away which he probably did a couple years ago and wanting to go there uh, then that's sort of the move that that you make could that happen yes do I think it's po- uh, probable no but you never know. Yeah, I think he's done. Let's uh, jump to somebody who is done in New England, at least for now. <laughs> you never know what the future holds. But uh, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, both going to the Raiders. Uh, Greg, just kind of your thoughts on the impact this could have on Mac Jones first. Yeah, it, it, Nick, I think it a lot depends on what they do to who they bring in to replace Josh McDaniels. Is it Bill O'Brien, Greg? I, I I think he's the leader in the clubhouse, the overwhelming favorite. And I think that's the best scenario for everybody. Um, you know, you get Bill O'Brien and, you know, they already have a quarterback coach there, Bo Hardigy. I don't know how they feel about him. Um, there are a bunch of Patriots, former Patriots assistants sort of in the ether, like Jerry Shablinsky was the yep. former quarterbacks coach, was on Joe Judge's staff. There's George Godsey, who was on Brian Flores' Miami staff. Chad O'Shea is still... Uh, I think he's a passing game coordinator for the Browns. There's a bunch of guys still around, but to me, in my mind, Bill O'Brien is clearly uh, the top choice to replace uh, Josh McDaniels. It makes things a lot easier. He has a relationship with Mac Jones. Mac uh, helped teach him the Alabama offense uh, before Mac went to the Patriots uh, last off season. So I think that's great. I think Bill's great with, with young quarterbacks you know, look at his work with, you know, Deshaun Watson is not exactly a Patriots type quarterback. He certainly made that work in Houston. He won a lot of games with a lot of mediocre quarterbacks in Houston, made the playoffs four times uh, with guys like Brian Hoyer and Case Keenum and, you know, other guys like that. Uh, So I think, I think the world of Bill O'Brien, if he comes on, that's a, that's a grand slam for the Patriots. I think it's the best case scenario for them. And then, you know, also, uh, we just got a bulletin. Yeah, Joe okay. Brady's going to be the new quarterback coach for the Panthers. Um, so he takes the place of, of Ken Dorsey. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I the other thing is, you know, Dave Ziegler. Um, I to me, that's the bigger piece of the puzzle right there because Dave Ziegler was a guy who who had been in the system. 
stepped up. They retained him when he was interviewing with the Broncos a year ago, stepped up to retain him. And, you know, we saw the impact that he had on the first draft, you know, and also free agency. I think he was involved in all that, you know, three impact rookies. I thought they they did a really good job last year in the draft. Ziegler was a guy who was known to be able to stand up and voice his opinion to Bill Belichick, which I think is very important uh, inside the building there. I don't think Nick Casario did that enough, and it was part of the reason why the personnel fell off at times with the Patriots. And you you got to think it's probably Elliot Wolf who gets promoted. You know, they probably think he's more ready now than he was a year ago. Uh, but still, Elliot Wolf is a guy I've covered for a long time. A really smart guy, very talented guy, not exactly the biggest voice or confrontational guy when it comes to going toe to toe with Bill Belichick. So to me, that's where I'm a little bit more worried about some of these departures. Last one for me, before we get to the question of the day, um, any shots that a blast from the past shows up, Scott Pioli, uh, Thomas Dimitrov, uh, any any other of the names that could surface? Do you, do you think there's any shot that maybe a Pioli, if he wants to leave the comforts of his gigs right now that he has, any shot that maybe Pioli comes back as as a voice and could be that person who could push back on Bill? I think it's possible. I think I think Pioli is now more open to returning to the league. He lives permanently on Nantucket now, so um, not that far away. And, you know, could be a good situation for him and his family. I would love to see that. I think I think Pioli's great. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But there, there are a bunch of guys, you know, whether it's, you know, Dimitrov, Bob Quinn, uh, who worked with Matt Patricia in Detroit. And then, right. look, we should also mention the Matt Patricia factor. Nobody, he's sort of like this entity looming over the Patriots. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly what he does, what he's going to do. Um, Mystery I, Matt. I, yeah, I believe that he still has another year left on his Lions deal. So he could be the dreaded consultant again this year. Uh, but he's a factor in all of this. And he might be pivoting to more of a uh, personnel role, which is what he had uh, last year. So. Who knows? It's certainly uh, strange times in uh, at one Patriot place. It's going to be a fun offseason. Question of the day, BSJ, $39.99 on their annual plan. Uh, you get all the great analysis from Greg on the Patriots. They also got your Celtics coverage, your Bruins coverage, your Red Sox coverage. Um, so check them out at BSJ. Again, uh, bostonsportsjournal.com, $39.99 annually. Uh, question of the day, Greg. I actually don't have anything printed out here. What do you got for the question of the day? Yeah, I was going to pick one out, but then I, I when I, when I uh, typed our rundown, I realized we didn't really touch on the championship games. Um, so I figured we'd do that here real quick. Um, sort of, you know, my general thoughts. I thought that I thought that the Chiefs absolutely lost that game against the oh, Bengals. God. The Bengals did the Bengals did not win it. I graded Patrick Mahomes' um, film. He was god awful in the second half. It wasn't yep. anything that the Bengals did. There were guys open. He doesn't trust. Hardman, which is clear, unless it's a design shot play or a running play. He had Hardman and guys like that. Pringle open a lot in this game. He did not go with it. Nick, the one of the plays that just blew my mind watching it, and I kept rewinding it, the interception that he threw in the second half, not the not in overtime, the one around the line of scrimmage. I, I'm watching the coach's film on that, and it, it's mind-boggling that he went to that side because you're watching it, and they're like, okay, the Bengals are bringing a little bit. It wasn't even a blitz. It was a zone exchange, a zone blitz. From the right, 
on his right, he had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And for some, and there's a blitz coming from there. Basically, the guy who's supposed to cover Hill is coming on a blitz. Normally, you just throw where the blitz comes from. Right. And, but for some reason, Patrick Mahomes, all he does is look left and there's nothing there. <laughs> and he throws it and he throws an interception. If he just threw to Tyreek Hill on the right, it might have been a touchdown. It's at least a 40 or 50 yard play. And instead of that being a big play and possible score to clinch the game, probably. He throws an interception and keeps the Bengals in the game. It was the, the those type of plays, the 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 sack in the red zone. Um, Travis Kelsey is wide open on third down. He misses them. The the play before halftime, he was given orders to throw the ball over the middle, or throw it away, and that's it. Not throw it to Tyreek Hill in the flat to get tackled and blow three points. It was I don't know what was going on with him in that game, but Patrick Mahomes to me what lost that game and and was just terrible in it. And in the other game, um, I thought to me, I thought the Rams pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo was the story in the second half. Every time he went back to pass, somebody was in his lap. Most of the time, Vaughn Miller. And especially on that final drive where they had a chance, he was getting pressured all the time. The Niners offensive line was terrible. Jimmy could have been better, but also I think Kyle Shanahan, you're talking about three games, the Atlanta Super Bowl. The, the the 49ers Super Bowl and then Sunday where they've been outscored, I think, 53 to nothing in the fourth quarter. That's on Kyle Shanahan. So, you know, once is maybe you could put on the quarterback three times. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, to me, it was responsible for that loss. Yeah, it was a complete meltdown by Mahomes, something that you don't see from who is regarded as the best quarterback in the league. And, you know, somebody who is, is from some people, the thought is, well, he could end up being the GOAT if he – if he can do what he can do, which, you know, I think that any any talk of that is outrageous because of what Brady has accomplished. We might want to wait until somebody wins, I don't know, five or six Super Bowls before we start having that conversation. Yeah. But it was a meltdown that the end of the first half was the beginning of it. He was completely shook after that play. And, and what people are not even mentioning is the play was bad enough, but they showed Mahomes after the play and he's signaling for a timeout. They had no timeouts. He... They had no timeouts left, and he's mm-hmm. and he's you know timeouts. So that shows you that he had complete unawareness of the situation in, in the AFC Championship game inside the five yard line. It's inexcusable the decisions he made. I agree with you; they were awful. The second half he was bad. He took not one but two sacks at the end of regulation. The second one he fumbled, and he's fortunate that they even had a chance to get to overtime because since he almost recovered that fumble. You know, I, I tip my cap to Cincy because I thought they wouldn't win more than six games this year. They're a great story. But that game is about Kansas City. That game is about Mahomes. You're up 21-3 to three inside the five-yard line at the end of the first half, and you lose that game. We don't see that kind of performance from Tom Brady. So I, I just – it was just mind-blowing to me. As far as San Francisco, there is a part of it where Jimmy G is who we thought he was. Uh, when things are not going perfect around him, he's not the guy to lift up his team. Yep. The, the run game was non-existent for San Francisco, mm-hmm. which is you know a very different kind of thing for them. Yep. And I, I also agree with you about Shanahan. You know, I mean, you look at the run game, you look at the defense, unable to make some key plays. The tart drop on the give me pick by Stafford. The only two sacks for that San Francisco defensive front, which is you know one of the best fronts in football. They were awful on third down. I think the Rams were like 11 for 18 on third down. So the defense didn't show up as well as they usually do. The run game wasn't there like it's always been for Jimmy G. 
And when it's on Jimmy G's shoulders, he just can't get it done. Shanahan, you know, George Kittle, the end of the year, he was not utilized the way he should be. He was not targeted nearly enough. In this game, he had two catches for 27 yards. What is that about? And, you know, the, con- the, the conservative play calling from Shanahan backfired. He's been conservative all year long. And on third and two, to, to give the ball to, to, you know, use check up the middle, when you have Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell and George Kittle, that's the wrong time there. And the fourth and two decision from the L.A. 45 in the fourth quarter to punt that football. Totally agree. That's what Shanahan's been all about. He's, he's very mm-hmm. similar to Belichick. Fourth down and around midfield, he, he gets a little bit concerned and conservative, and, and he decided to punt when L.A. had momentum. So, yeah, not great by them. Uh, boy, there was a lot covered. I feel like this yep. was a, a very good, informative podcast. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Uh, of course, we'll be all over something that breaks when it breaks for the Patriots. Uh, he's Greg. I'm Nick. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles brought to you by betonline.ag.